Open your Bibles with me if you would to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22. The Gospel of Matthew in your New Testament chapter 22. Continuing in our series, What Does God Want From Us? So imagine if you could just have a conversation with God and ask him, well, what do you want from me? We're trying to imagine what kind of answers he would give you. It's Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. In just a little bit, we'll be looking at verses 34 through 40. So keep your Bibles open during that time. We'll be looking at this passage from time to time. Matthew 22. You can see on screen that the answer for today is this is what God wants from us. To love me and love others. So we're going to talk about what that means. What loving God is and is not. And how we can love other people in his name. Matthew chapter 22. As always, we'll begin with a time of prayer. So where you're sitting, I'll give you a few moments to pray. Remember, this is privilege. This is where God, who is God, stops everything to listen to you. So take a minute, if you would, and pray. And then I'll give you a few moments, and I'll close, and we'll look at this passage together. So join me as we pray, please. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your presence in worship, for the privilege of worship, for the lives that we live in this great nation. We are blessed, Father. We thank you for the good things in this life. We understand that if we have anything in this life that's worth having, it is a gift from you. Thank you for your generosity and your grace towards us. We thank you especially for the life that we have in Jesus for the salvation that we hold dear, forgiveness of sins, and eternal hope. Thank you. We thank you for your scripture, the Bible, that teaches us each day. Thank you, Father. You continue to work in our behalf. And we appreciate it. Father, this morning we pray knowing that some in our midst struggle, some whose families struggle with COVID, others with illness and difficult circumstances. We pray that you'd be with these people. Give them healing and strength and wholeness and give them hope in this life. We know that in this life some face difficult circumstances. We pray that you would encourage them. Give them strength for each day. For those that face death, give them comfort into eternity. As always, Father, we ask you to be with those that exert power over us, our legislators and president and those others. Give them wisdom and guidance and discernment. Help them to make good decisions that can bring peace and justice. We pray, Father, that they would learn to work together for the general good. Lord, pray for our soldiers and their families, for our first responders and their families. Keep them safe in their service. Use their actions to bring peace and justice and to save lives. And comfort their families, Father, in their time of 
separations. Lord, in this world we struggle. We struggle against our own sinful natures, our tendency to destroy ourselves. We ask forgiveness and mercy. And we ask for help, Father, that you'd help us to learn to love each other, to control our passions and impulses. Help us, Father, to be encouragers and those who would bring peace to those around us. We study your word, Lord, for guidance and wisdom. We ask you would teach us how we might live and to show us what you want from us. Thank you again, Father, for all good things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's easy to lose focus on the really important, isn't it? Because lots of stuff catches our attention. Sometimes it's because a lot of other things are just noisy. Sometimes it's because our interest lies not on what's truly important, but on what just interests us. I've told you a lot of stories about me working with my daddy on my old cars. My first vehicle was an old Chevy pickup. And it was, to put it gracious, a pile of lead. And it didn't cost me much and it was worth it. And it ran and I got it home. And I was going to make a hot rod of it. And this is when I was 15 years old. And it, it really wasn't much and I didn't have much money. But I had big plans. See, I had made the mistake of reading every hot rod magazine ever printed. So I was going to make a hot rod out of this pickup. I was going to put a big, big motor in it. Loud pipes, of course. Big fat tires. And then I was going to drop the front end down in the weeds because that was what was cool. My dad looked at me and rolled his eyes whenever I talked about this old pickup because he knew what a heap it was. So one day we were out there on our Saturday afternoon, and this was our routine to work on vehicles on Saturday afternoons, and I was talking about what a great hot rod I was going to make on this truck and how it was going to look cool when I dropped the front end down on the weeds and I was going to have big, big fat tires on the back and I was going to jack it up in the back and loud pipes and all those kinds of things. And Dad said, how about we put some brakes on it first? Well, I heard what he said, and I continued to talk about the big motor and the loud pipes. And this went on for some time as we tinkered. And finally my dad said in that voice that I knew all too well, he goes, Kevin, shut up. Let's put some brakes on this thing so you don't kill yourself when you drive it. And I knew we needed brakes. I was not a dumb boy. But they really weren't that important to me at the time because I wanted loud pipes and fat tires and wheels. Brakes? Eh. See, I'd kind of forgotten, hadn't I, what things you really need because my dad made the point and he did over and over and over and thumped me a couple of times. Kevin, it doesn't matter what your truck looks like. If you can't stop it, you're going to wad it up and put it in a ditch. You're going to waste all your money. And I kind of got it. And so that day, we went and bought the parts and we rebuilt the brakes and that began a, a several years long process of me building that old truck. And I've got some pictures I'll show you someday. Turned out okay though. And the brakes did work actually. Not very well, but they did work. But see, I, I was guilty of what we often do, wasn't I? I focused on the things that weren't really that important, the things that interested me naturally, and I ignored the things that really were important. And in that instance, stopping that vehicle that I built. Sometimes we do that in life. Sometimes we do it in our family relationships. Sometimes we do it at work. Sometimes we do it at church. We focus on things that really aren't that important, and we ignore those things that are essential. And it doesn't mean that all those other things aren't important. It just means that some things are more important than others. In the passage you're going to read, we're going to see that Jesus was talking to a group of people who had done just that with their faith. They focused on a lot of things. Things that interested them. 
things that came naturally to them, things that seemed important, and they had forgotten the true faith that made a difference. Follow along with me if you would. Matthew 22. I'll read verses 34 through 40. Matthew chapter 22 beginning of verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered themselves together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, Then how does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put thine enemies beneath thy feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him that word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. So what we see is this circumstance where Jesus was just minding his own business, doing his thing, talking to people, and the scribes and Pharisees and the Sadducees were these three groups of religious leaders. And they had a lot of power in that culture. And in that culture, religious leadership really was essential. It was very powerful in the Jewish culture. There were the governmental leaders, Pilate and Herod, and you've heard about those. But the people that asserted day-to-day control over Jewish culture were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees had already come to Jesus and had tried to trip him up with trick questions. And he had handled them pretty easily. So it was the Pharisees' turn, and they came and talked to him, and they were trying to figure out how they could make him look bad and all those kinds of things. And so they asked him this trick question. Now, I say it's a trick question because when they said it, Jesus knew what they were doing. Now, what what they asked was a very simple question. What's the most important thing in the law? Sounds like a simple question, but the trick was how to navigate this question without offending everybody. Remember, I mentioned scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees. And these were people with a lot of religious clout. And they could make your life miserable. And they had control of social media and all those kinds of things. And they fussed all the time being preachers. And they all knew everything. And they would quote scripture at each other. And they would never try to get along. And they tried to fight all the time. And so what happened was, this trick question was one of those questions that these groups of people fought about all the time. What's the most important law? And they would try to say, no, this one, no, this one, no, this one, or this group. And so no matter how Jesus answered the question, he was going to offend somebody. And that was the goal, of course. They wanted to get Jesus into trouble. So Jesus pulled a stunt. He quoted them scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't say which one was important. What he said was what they all knew. Now you've got to remember in Jewish culture, these two passages made up part of what was called the Shema. So every Jewish person in Jesus' life, including these groups of people, knew these passages. And it was part of the Shema, something that Jewish people did. They recited it every day. And what Jesus did was say, this is what you say you believe. And he confronted them with it and they couldn't fight. So look at verse 46, what happened. 
And no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on ask him another question. In other words, Jesus shut him down. He shut him down because they knew he had them. Well, to fully understand, you just need a little bit of Bible history, Bible study history, and I'll just give you a little bit. In Jewish thought and wisdom, there was this understanding that there was a rabbi from way back when, and I never could find his name, but he had counted all of the commandments that Moses had written. Not just the Ten Commandments, you remember those, but every time Moses said anything that declared something or told you what to do as an act of faith, he counted that as a commandment. And it came up with a number 613. And so this became sort of an unknown, an unwritten law that if you were going to be a good Jew, you had to know 613 rules. And that's what it became. It wasn't just commandments from God, it was rules. Now think about this. Don't raise your hands, but if I required you to memorize 613 rules, how many of you would you go, I'm going to find a different church? Well, all of you would, because who wants to memorize 613 rules? Now, to be honest, there were some people who wanted to memorize 613 laws. The scribes and the Pharisees. And they did it. They were smart people. And they had classes, memorize the 613. And I'm kidding, they didn't have that title. But that was what they did. They memorized the 613. So you've heard in your Sunday school lessons where the scribes and Pharisees would follow people around and point out their flaws. What was happening was they were pointing out, oh, you missed number 599 or something like that because it was impossible for regular folk to memorize 613. Okay. Not everybody bought into this idea of following 613 rules though because there were some teachers who thought, you know, this is stupid. You cannot memorize 613, and it doesn't make sense to require people to memorize 613 rules. So they came up with this teaching method, which was very simple. They would summarize the 613 rules and boil it down to just a few. For instance, King David in one passage summed it up with just 11 comments and commandments. Some of the other prophets, Isaiah, for instance, came to six. And then a prophet named Habakkuk in the Old Testament summed it up with one verse. He said, the just shall live by faith. So people liked this idea. Not only did it make the sermons shorter, which is what everybody wants, of course, but it also gave them something they could memorize. So when Habakkuk preached, the just shall live by faith, he summed up everything saying, this is the essence. This is what is really important. It wasn't to minimize everything else. It was just to help people focus on something that would really help them. So, what Jesus was doing was what they were taught. What Jesus did when he turned scripture on them is he used an accepted teaching methodology and he summed up everything instead of prioritizing this law is better than this law is better than this law and getting into that preacher stuff. He just said, listen, these two things sum up everything. He wasn't diminishing everything else, anything else. He was just saying, this is what's really important. So Jesus said, you've got to love God and you've got to love others. So on screen is an idea of what we can go home with. First of all, you've got to love God. A little bit of definition here. Loving is not warm fuzzies. Some of you feel a lot of emotion when you talk about God, and I understand that. Some of you do not. When I was a kid growing up, I would hear preachers say, you've got to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, because that's what Jesus said, right? 
And I tried to make myself feel. But I never I got that feeling, you know, make you feel. I never cried. I wanted, never wanted to hug anybody, anything like that. Not that kind of guy. Well, what I came to understand is only later is that when Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, he wasn't talking about emotion at all. He was talking about commitment and action. So the way you love God would be to show your faith by the way, way you live. So you didn't have to worry about whether or not you felt a certain way. Instead, you have to love God by showing him that you think he's important. In other words, if you love God, you're going to invest your life in him. You're going to go to church. That's one thing. You're going to try to pay attention to the sermon. That's another thing. You're going to try to read scripture and pray and do all those things that are actions of faith. And in doing those things, you demonstrate that you think God is important. And so that's one way that you love God. So you don't have to feel anything. You choose to act in a certain way. So Jesus is saying to these people, listen. If you want to listen to what God wants, if you want to make God happy, you want to please him, you live a life of faith. Now where's those 613 rules? He didn't quote them, did he? He said, love God. Act like God is important to you. Prioritize actions of faith. Make faith a daily part of your life. So coming to church, being involved in worship services is just one part of it. Giving an offering is another part. Watching how you talk is another part. Being gracious and kind is yet another part. The faith that saves is a faith that shapes and influences your life. So you don't have to know 613 rules. You don't have to do everything just right. You don't have to be perfect because we understand that Jesus is taking care of our sin. What God wants from you is to live a life that demonstrates that he is important to you. So I guess the test is this. When people look at your life, will they see you living a life of faith? Will they see you taking teachings of the scriptures seriously or not? Will they see you involved in worship service and, and get involved in a church and those kinds of things? Will they hear you mention or do things in life that reflects a religious faith? You know, I mentioned last week that we've taken this whole privacy thing too far. Our faith with Jesus is a private thing, but God fully intends for us to live our faith in a way that people can see it. In other words, a faith that is so private that no one can see it really isn't that important to you. You've missed something. To the Pharisees that Jesus was talking to, they thought that being a good person of faith meant memorizing the 613 rules and pointing out when everybody else didn't. I mean, they really weren't very good people. They weren't very nice at all. People dreaded the Pharisees and Sadducees coming around because they were such a nuisance. These, these people were just pointing out flaws in everybody else. And they were religious, of course. And there wasn't anything wrong with memorizing the 613. And there wasn't anything wrong with always going to synagogue and all those kinds of things. But they had missed out this idea that they truly loved God. So Jesus said, love me. Interestingly enough, the New Testament teaches us that when we love God, we are merely responding. We love God because he first loved us. Now God has emotions towards us, but what God does more than anything is have actions in our behalf. 
He created us with the prospect of faith. He created us with the capacity for loving relationships. He created us with the capacity of music and art and physical prowess and all those kinds of things. And he created us for worship. So think about this. If you've gotten anything of value in life from worship and faith, that is gift from God. So if you can think of a time when God made a difference in your life, that's a gift. God planned to do that. If you can think of any time in life when your faith has comforted you, that is a gift from God. If you can think of anything in your life that is different because of your faith, that's you responding to God's love. So Jesus is calling his people, listen, you can be religious all you want, but you've got to love God first. Make sure that your faith makes a difference. So what does God want you to do? He wants you to love him. Not necessarily emotion, but be faithful to him. One of the other things that God wants us to do, and this is on screen, and that is very simple. Love people. Like loving God, God is not commanding you to love people in terms of warm fuzzies. When you watch really obnoxious people on screen, you know, on TV and a newscast or something, you think, man, that guy is a real jerk. Do you feel warm fuzzies towards him? Of course not. When you go to Walmart and it's busy and people are acting like jerks, do you feel warm fuzzies towards everybody? Well, of course not. I remember when my old southern preacher, when I was a kid, said that you have to love everybody. I thought he was kind of silly because I thought to myself, well, you can't love people that you don't like and you can't love people that you don't know because I didn't know everybody at the time, still don't. And it took me a long time to realize that the love that Jesus is calling us to have for other people has nothing to do with how you feel and everything to do with how you act towards people. So whether or not you know someone's name or like them is irrelevant. I mean, it's great if you can like people and know their name and all those kinds of things. But there are always going to be people that you don't know. But you can love them as you act in their behalf. Perhaps pray for them at the very least. Or uh, take them from some food when they're going through a crisis. Or visit them in the hospital. Or just be their friend. And Jesus said, love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. So just as you care for your own body and your own self, so too God wants us to care for other people. So whether or not you feel warm fuzzies towards anyone really isn't an issue. Now fortunately, if you care for people and help them, you'll get to feel some warm fuzzies. But again, that's not the goal. The goal isn't to feel. The goal is to act. Because Jesus can see that. And other people can see that. And people may not care whether or not you cry or feel or hug. But they do care if you treat them well and treat them with grace. So on screen are some things that can happen. That can happen when we love God and begin to love others. First of all, it minimizes the need for warm fuzzies. In other words, you don't have to feel warm fuzzies in order to love people. So, when you watch the newscast and somebody on screen is suffering and you don't like them, you can still pray for them. You can still sincerely hope that God works in their lives. I, I get emails all the time and, and so do you, prayer requests and things like this. And I, I, a lot of times I don't know who these people are. 
and someone says, well, pray for this person, they're suffering, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and I don't know this person, I, I don't have a clue. You know what? I can love them by praying for them. Didn't always do that. When an ambulance goes by and they've got somebody in the bus and they're taking them to the hospital, I can love that person that I will never meet as I pray for them and stop everything and just for a moment pray. And that's a legitimate way to love people. Or when you're at the line at Walmart or you're at the store and someone obviously needs help, you can, without knowing their name or feeling anything for them, understand they need help and then helping them. That's loving others. And that's what God wants you to do. And you don't have to feel anything. Now, if you feel something, that's great. But you don't have to. You see, it minimizes the need to feel good. There was some real negative news over uh, a real rich, rich guy. You know, we have a tendency to think rich guys are creeps. Some of them are, it turns out. There was an individual, and he is a billionaire. Doesn't matter what his name is. He's the CEO of a big high-tech company. And he's wealthy. And he said in a comment that he didn't care about the Uyghurs. And he didn't care. He said, sorry, I'm glad you do, but I just don't care about them. Well, the, the Uyghurs are a group of Muslim people in China. And China has enslaved them, over a million of them. And they're living under horrible circumstances because the Chinese government doesn't want Muslims in their culture. And so it's become kind of a thing. So if you hear the news talking about the Uyghurs, that's who we're talking about. And it's all on Facebook and all this kind of thing. And so this guy said, listen, I don't care about the Uyghurs. I don't know them. I don't want to know them. I don't care. If they're, I'm sorry they're miserable, but I just don't care about them. And so he kind of confronted us with how uncaring, intelligent, good people can be. See, you don't have to be a creep to be uncaring, do you? You don't have to be a scoundrel who doesn't pay your bills to be an obnoxious person that isn't a person of faith. So this guy, a good, intelligent, gazillionaire, he's pretty creepy, isn't he? Because for a whole group of people, he said, I just don't care if they're suffering. This is the very thing that Jesus is pointing out to you. If you want to love God, if you want to love yourself and love others, then you have to learn to care about people that you will never meet. Whether it be the, the Uyghurs in China or any other group of people. You don't know them. You'll never meet them. Why do you care? You choose to care because you're Christian. See, this is what changes people. It changes their hearts out of discipline and obedience to God. So, you don't have to have warm fuzzies. Another thing that this faith does, it minimizes a situation-oriented concern, meaning... Sometimes we're only concerned for people that need help. Or because you know them. Or because you like them. You know, we want to help people we like. We generally don't want to help people we don't like. If you take Jesus' words seriously, it doesn't matter whether you like them or not. It doesn't matter whether they would help you or not. You know, we'll say things like, well, you know, if it was me needing help, they wouldn't help me. That's irrelevant to a person of faith. If they need help, and you are aware of it, and you can do something, God fully expects you to do something. Who's my neighbor? People who know. People who suffer. Those are your neighbors. On the next screen, God's love helps us to develop a consistent love response. In other words, you help people 
just because it's the right thing to do. Guys, that's a, that's a good motive because it's the right thing to do. Whether or not you feel doesn't legitimize your action. It's what you do. If you help a total stranger and you go on about your business and you never think another thought, that's a good thing to do. I mean, because you've done the right thing. How you feel isn't the issue. God doesn't make you feel. God doesn't necessarily care if you have these warm fuzzies towards everybody. I mean, he wants you to. But if you don't, that's fine. As long as you act in a way that cares for them. Now, some people say, well, isn't it hypocritical if you're nice to people and you don't like them? Well, now, let me ask you this. Say you're on the side of the highway with a flat tire and you need some help for whatever reason. Somebody comes by and they don't like you. You know them. You don't like them and they don't like you back. And so they leave you there with a flat tire. You like that? Of course not. You want that jerk to stop and help you, don't you? And hopefully that jerk, and he may be a jerk, wants to do the right thing. So he stops and helps. Maybe you're the jerk driving by. Maybe the guy with the flat tire is a jerk and you don't want to help him. What's the best way to demonstrate your faith? To flip him off when you drive by? No, of course not. To stop and help. That's how you demonstrate faith. Whether or not you have those feelings or not really isn't the issue, is it? It's whether or not you stop and help. Amazingly enough, when you stop and help or you get involved in people's lives, this is the way God has created us, you will begin to develop warm fuzzies. You will begin to care about people. And they might even respond by caring about you. And thus relationships are established. See, this is the way that works. One other thing. A life of actions validates our statements of faith and belief. In other words, you can talk about Jesus all day long, but if you're an uncaring jerk, no one cares what you say. This is what Jesus was talking about to the scribes and Pharisees because they were uncaring jerks. They went to church all the time. They had all the right beliefs. They had the do's and don'ts down. Remember, they had the 613 laws. They were just so uncaring and unkind, no one cared what they said. They had zero positive influence in their culture. When they could have, they could have led their people to a life-changing faith. But because they didn't love each other, no one cared. One of the things that Jesus did is that he just accepted people and helped them. And he was considered a radical for that reason. He didn't... He didn't necessarily keep all the rules. I mean, he did, but he didn't bring it up. Lesson number 591, he never did that. Instead, he just loved people. And it wasn't as if he was saying those other things aren't important. He was just saying, listen, you've got to love people first before they're going to listen to anything else. So for us, what we have to do with this passage is be careful. Because I've heard Christians, well-meaning Christians saying, listen, all you got to do is love God and love others, and all that other stuff is irrelevant. You don't have to follow any of those teachings in the Bible. And that's not true. That is not what Jesus is doing here. Remember, Jesus was following an old teaching practice that said, this is essential, and everything is determined by what you do with the essential. 
So loving God and loving others is the very least you can do to follow Jesus. Amazingly, that takes care of most things. If you love God, you'll resist sin. If you love others, you'll resist treating them badly, won't you? Whether you have warm fuzzies or not is irrelevant. So don't ever make the mistake of thinking that if you're just a nice guy, you don't have to pay attention to the rest of the Bible. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he's doing is saying, listen, you want to sum up everything and come to the essence of true faith. At the very least, you've got to love God absolutely. And love others like you love yourself. And that's the beginning of the life-changing faith. On screen is one passage of scripture. Read this with me. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. But now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. I knew when I bought my old truck that brakes were a thing. They just weren't the important thing to me. And my dad knew enough to get through my thick skull that no matter what I did with all that other stuff, if I didn't get the brakes fixed, it was worthless. Jesus used the same reasoning. No matter how religious you are, no matter how many times you go to church, or how much money you give, or how many songs you sing, if you don't learn to love God and love others, it's a waste of time. Love God and love others. That's what God wants from us all. Nate's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation. Let me challenge you to respond to God by loving him as he's loved you. Make decisions if you need to. If you want to make something public, come forward. Would you stand with me as Nate leads us? Would you come and lead us? Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the message this morning that we received. Lord, I just ask that you would lay on our hearts to live out our faith each and every day by showing the love that you've freely given us to everyone around us. In your name I pray. Amen.